so thankful uh, to get to worship with each and every one of you here this morning. Uh, Psalm 23 reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's such a beautiful psalm. It's one that even if you didn't grow up in church, you at least know loosely you've heard referenced at some point. And it's one that we find comfort in, maybe often in times of, of death and sorrow in our life, but it's, it's truly more of a life-giving psalm when we dive into it. And we think about these two title words this morning of even though, and we're going to circle back at, towards the end uh, to this passage that probably is the most familiar of even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And as we think about that, I, you know, we think about whether that is something that is realistic in our life. So, something that I can actually do, something that I can actually pursue and that I can live out this thought of actually not being afraid. I remember when I was growing up, uh, I remember junior high, high school, uh, it was a big thing to have the no fear stickers. Does anybody remember those or was that just a Tennessee thing? Yeah, right? Yeah, it, the, the no fear stickers on the back of the truck. I think they were kind of replaced by Salt Life stickers now. Those kind of fill in the gap. But you saw these everywhere. I probably had one on a, on a trapper keeper back in, in middle school. It was this thought process around, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to pursue this life with, with, with fear in mind, but it's something that's so easy to say, and it sounds so good, and we love the concept, but we really struggle greatly to live it out. So we're afraid. We're afraid of what's coming. We're afraid sometimes of our past and, and what's been. When we think about this passage particularly, we're, we're afraid of what's waiting in the darkness. And when we start to walk towards it or we know it's coming and it's approaching and there's nothing we can do about it, we're afraid of what is to come. I, I would even you know, dare to say that with everything we know or you know, we, we think we know because we get, get a lot of different stuff coming at us from every angle right now, it's honestly led to probably more anxiety and fear than in previous generations. Which is why I believe when it comes to this psalm, it's timeless and something that's always needed in our life, but, but something that, that maybe is more timely now than it ever has been. It opens with those words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What, what's that mean? What, what's that look like in our life to, to actually not want? What it means is that he provides. 
you know, he, he provides what we need. And as comforting as this passage is, because it gives me so much comfort to hear that first sentence that David writes of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I know I am provided for. It makes me uncomfortable. Not the first part, but the second part. It makes me uncomfortable because I do want. I'm so blessed. I feel that every single day, and I'm sure that so many of you feel the exact same way. I'm so blessed. And anytime I take the time to reflect, I just think about, wow, what has been done for me in this life and how much I don't deserve it and how blessed I am. And yet I still look around and I still want. I still constantly want more. I still constantly want what's next. I'm, I'm constantly thinking about what it's going to be in the future, and it takes me out of living right now and being satisfied and at peace with where I am right now. If any of you ever gone on a short-term mission trip or you've been around people who came back from a short-term mission trip off into a third-world country or, or to a country that's for sure not as blessed and, and has so many amenities and, and materials easily accessible as we do in the United States, the, the common theme, I've never heard, you know, I used to be a youth minister, and, and for years I, I led kids on these trips or I came back from them, and over and over again, people talk about they're just blown. Their mind is blown because they go and they're like, everybody's so, so happy. Everybody's just happier than they are here. I heard for our home church that I used to preach for that they came back from their mission trip this summer and and had some of the teenage girls speak. And that was the first thing she said. I was just blown away by how happy they are, talking about the other teenagers there and how anxious and sad so many of my friends in Katy, Texas are. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think one is this, this satisfaction in provision. That this, this psalm is, speaks to the provision of God. And, and I think sometimes we can get lost and we're not really satisfied in provision. And I think a lot of other people in the world, they find peace and they find happiness and they find joy in the simplicity of just being satisfied in the provision that they have that day of the prayer that we just prayed a few moments ago of having their daily bread, of being taken care of, and they just find peace and happiness in that. And then the other thing, they, they just don't obsess over their neighbors. Instead, they focus on what they, and, and they obsess over their neighbors and focus on what they don't have. Instead, they focus on what they do have and are blessed with, and we get lost here. So what I love is this interpretation of this, not just the one that we just read of I shall not want, but I like the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Uh, I think it harnesses what it's really meaning here more. Well, what it's essentially saying is I have everything in my life from God that matters. And because of that, I'm not going to obsess in my life over all of these things that do not really matter. Now hear that again. I have everything. I like nothing. I have everything in my life that really matters. And because of that, I'm not going to spend my energy, my time, my worries obsessing over all of these things that in the end don't really matter. And the rest of this passage is speaking a lot about the things that do. So we jump back into the text and we see as he starts, he makes me down to lie down in green pastures. 
and talk about a few things that I believe God gives us that we really need. And the first one is rest. You know, the first one is that, that we need rest. You know, I don't know about y'all, but I, I've gotten back and we just, uh, I've been doing the home gym for a long time and we have a toddler now and uh, they have childcare at the YMCA. So now we're going back to the Y. Like we, we were going back to the YMCA the last month and a half. And I went and worked out yesterday and, and, and I was energized. I was feeling good as I think anybody in here that does something for fitness does. It makes you feel better. But I was up close in the mirror, and, and I, I've had a promotion recently, and I'm really happy with it, but it's also brought on more work. And I just looked at my eyes, and y'all have done this before. You've been a little too close to the mirror, and you've been like, man, my eyes look tired. Like, my eyes are way too puffy. Like, I mean, it happens, but they should not look like that. And it was this re- recognition that I can laugh about, but I also know I need some space. I need some space to rest as I look into tired eyes. You know, this verbiage here, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. You know, I think that's, that's because the kind of natural thing, and we won't get too deeply into this comparison of us and, and sheep as being dumb, but the truth is we follow a lot of the same patterns that sheep do in the fact that if we can just keep eating, we're going to keep eating. You know, like if, we, if, we, if life could just keep going great, we're just going to keep pursuing that. And this imagery here of he makes me to lie down in green pastures, there's this image of both it's safe, it's a place where you can feel secure so you can rest. And we have to feel that before we can really rest. And if you've stressed in life, you know that. You lay down at night, you're so tired. But when you don't feel safe, when you don't feel secure, you don't really rest in this life. And so he makes us to lie down in green pastures, this place of security where you can take a break and you can actually rest. And sometimes we just have to make ourselves stop. You know, we were talking about this at, at work this week, and one of the calls somebody brought up, we're, we're in this initiative, and I'm sure you all you know, have, have talked about this in some of your worlds, that, uh, of white space. We're trying to go into some new markets and new verticals, and, and we're talking about getting these new customers and this growth and and someone mentioned the different perspective of white space, of white space in our daily lives. And if you, if you do work within Teams and Outlook, you know, you probably sometimes wake up and sometimes maybe you have a little more freedom. But some days you look up and you're like, meeting, 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 meeting. And the idea is, hey, you need to schedule 15, 20, 30 minutes between meetings of white space. To, and it's really practical. You're going to be better for it. We know that even in our, in our lives that we will be better because you can think about what you just talked about. You can prepare for what you're about to do next. And we don't put that in our life. We seem so rushed and so tired, and we don't have any margin to just rest. So know you're safe. Know you're safe and find time to rest in your life. And the next one, not just rest, but refreshment. Because it's not just about laying down. He leads us beside still waters, or more literally, waters of rest. These waters that fulfill us. You know, you have to do things in your life that are going to refresh you. You know, we, we get this physically. Uh, my, my son, uh, my, my older son, is playing flag football in KD Youth Football League this year. And uh, I'm, I'm helping coach, but I'm not the head coach. 
And the head coach, he is serious. Like, he is very serious for seven-year-olds. Like, this is Katie. This is Texas football starting to roll for us, like awakening of the seriousness. But it's also been, as we know today, 108 degrees outside. And we're sitting out there, and he's, you know, having these kids run sprints, and we're doing these drills, and we're practicing for an hour and a half, and still at 530, 104, 105 degree weather, and it's like, hey, hey, coach, we, we have to stop. We have to stop and give them water. And it's obvious. You're looking at these kids, and you can see it. You can see it in their body. You can see it in the way that they listen, because the truth is, we can get really frustrated with a bunch of seven and eight-year-olds because they're not listening. But when you're really tired, when you're really exhausted, when you're dehydrated, you're not going to listen. And it's amazing to me, because I'm watching, I'm focusing on the kids, making sure they're drinking. But I got done with practice last Thursday, and I was like, I did not drink any water during that entire practice. And then I chugged like two 32-ounce glasses of water because I was so parched. I needed it so badly. We do a pretty good job, hopefully, in those extreme scenarios, I think we for sure do, of listening to our bodies. When, when we're drained, when we're empty, we know that if we don't listen to our body, we pay the consequences. If you keep pushing when you are dehydrated, you, you pay the consequences. There are results and negative results in your life. So how much more do we need to listen to our souls? You know, I, I think in, in our busy pace, sometimes we, we just want to keep going. And so we, we don't listen to what our soul is aching for. And our soul is saying, and is crying out. And I can tell you that from, from seasons of burnout, it's saying, hey, Bo, find a place to rest. Hey, Bo, you got to find a place to rest. And I'm on the other side and leading a church. And I'm going, I don't really have time, God. Like, I don't have time to rest. Uh, I've, I've got to keep going. I've got to keep doing. He's saying, Bo, if you don't find a place to rest, you're going to be so parched that you're just going to have to stop. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us because we need to just stop. Find things to refresh you. Find, find things to refresh you spiritually, to refresh your soul that feeds you again and nourish you again. Because what we need to do is what he says right here, we need to restore our souls. One thing for me I, I've noticed is that for rest, I, I need to get up early. And I know that sounds so counter, but some of y'all are, are with me. You know, in this stage of life, four kids, it's like if I, if I don't get up early and I just go to work and then I'm going to give my kids my time, and by the time I get to the end of the day, I don't really feel like I can rest in God. I feel like I can rest in The Bachelor. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, in, in whatever is on TV that night. Hopefully soon we're six days away from real college football. Yesterday got some little previews. But I can find my rest in that, but that's not what I really need. What I need is to get up early and have some time alone with God. And then throughout my day, I'm able to actually find rest and peace in this word that I just said a little while ago, restoration. I've always loved that word, always been drawn to it. You know, as, as I was preparing this week, and, and I like to, to read the text over and over again when I'm preaching from a passage, and you know, I chose even though as my title, and we're going to come back there because I think it's something we all need. But for me personally, this was the part of the passage that just kept popping out to me. He restores my soul. This powerful moment of bringing back something that is broken to something that is beautiful. 
Yeah, I grew up, as I mentioned, in, in Middle Tennessee, and there are a ton of old 1800s homes and big, beautiful homes, and some of them are taken care of, uh, and, and they just look amazing, and they've never been abandoned. But there are others that have been, and it, it was always my mom's dream. We didn't end up doing it. She, she ended up moving into a different home, but, but we would look when one would come on the market, and I was the kid. I'm the youngest, so I would go with her. We'd go on these home tours, and we, we had this, I can remember this home we looked at in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. It was this home that had, you know, as you, ro- as you drove up to it, you know, big, beautiful driveway, big columns out front. And, but you walked inside, and, you know, it was just dilapidated. It was scarred. It was beaten up. And the truth was, the reason we didn't buy it is because we, we put it in, we're putting in an offer, but we had, you know, and someone come to inspect it, and it had damage in the foundation. Damage in the foundation that was going to go way beyond what we were willing to invest in this house. We were willing to do the beautiful stuff, but, but we couldn't really do the structural stuff. We couldn't really restore the foundation. That's what our God does. He, he restores our soul. He restores us from the foundation. I, I've loved that from day one of the, about a year ago when I was able to come here the first time and guest speak to come into this building for the first time. I love historical buildings. I love everything that y'all have done with it in the way that you've taken your time and you've done it right as it was just spoken about. You've taken something that as you looked at that you could have said, hey, we're, we're going to walk away or, hey, we're going to renovate and we're just going to change everything. Instead, you said there, there's beauty here. There is something here in the bones of this building that we want to bring back to life. And it's such great imagery to, I think, what you're trying to be as a church, to be this place of restoration, to be a place that finds beauty in a place that restores souls. Restoration projects are sometimes beat up, worn out, scarred. But people who are drawn to restoration are drawn to it. And this is a lot of you. They're drawn to it because you look at it and you just see something that is so beautiful. Not, not that can be beautiful. You see something that already is. Now, now you, you see what it was, but, but you see it as it is and you go, this, this, this is so beautiful. My soul sometimes feels like this massive restoration project. It's tired, beaten up, worn out, with a whole bunch of scars. But what I know is I have a God that more than any of us looks at a project and sees beauty, wants your soul to feel the same way, your soul to be healed, to be full, to be restored. We do that in rest. We, we do that in refreshment, and we do that when we listen to our God. He says, he leads me in passive righteousness for his name's sake. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I, I like to plan my paths. It's part of, part of what makes me anxious is because I make a plan, and when a plan doesn't happen, I, I get anxious about that plan not falling into place. I plan my financial path, my career path, my family path. And I'm not saying that's bad. So we all know it's not, planning is not a bad thing. What we have a tendency to do when we are planning is to get lost in our ways. We're only focused on our plan. We're only focused on our plan and what we want to do. And for me, what happens is I stop listening. Uh, I stop learning. 
I stop looking outside of that path and I stop seeking. And then I wonder why our paths feel so off. Feel so off from what I really needed because it was exactly the path I chose to go down. But maybe not the path that God was trying to lead me on. To be led, you have to listen. That's the truth. As sheep, and that's what we are. And there should be so much pressure alleviated from us right here because we realize I'm the sheep. He's the shepherd. I'm not the one leading. But to be led, you have to listen. And to listen, you have to be refreshed and you have to rest. It all connects. And then third, uh, second to last point is perspective. The perspective that David has here, you know, he says down, jump into the later part of the passage, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, my cup, it overflows, you anoint my head with oil. What, what he's saying here is, you know, when I'm in front of my enemies, God, I, I feast, I thrive. You know, and my cup, it just overflows. And I've always loved that imagery. I don't know if you have it. It's that you're sitting at this feast and someone's coming up to pour. And, you know, you're, you're, you're doing this. And you've been in tables like this. And it's so much fun. And there's so much joy surrounding that. Because you're like, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. I'm full. And they just keep pouring, keep pouring. It just keeps overflowing. And what I want you to hear here is what David is saying. Is, is this is not a past reflection or a future reflection only. This is, this is a a, a continual phrasing. Well, what David is saying is surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's a reflection of what's already been, this goodness and mercy have followed him, and goodness and mercy will keep following me based on what he's already experienced in my life. David's had a blessed life. He's had so many blessings in it. But this doesn't mean perfection. We know that with David. We know that David also, his life was, was far from perfect. So what he's finding here in this piece is that, that his life, in, while far from perfect and far from being free from pain and a lot of self-inflicted wounds, he could still see that the goodness and mercy of God were pursuing him. They were following him all the days of his life because of what he had experienced and what he knew he was experiencing and what he would experience. And it's in that that we find what God provides for us in this life, even at its hardest, which is peace. Peace is something that I feel like most of us are, are just seeking out continually, that our hearts are longing for, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's this image of, of the shepherd leading the sheep down into this deep valley. But when you think about that, we get blinded as sheep and we, we think that only is darkness. But, you know, streams, streams run downhill. Streams are flowing downhill. And so that shepherd is leading us some, towards something that is so good for us possibly on the other side of it. But in that, he's protecting us. In darkness, we, we find that, that, that his rod and his staff, they come from me. There's this image on both sides of the rod and the staff, the rod to fight against. You know, the rod is to protect against what is coming into our lives, what is coming after us in the darkness, what we are battling against. And the staff is, is honestly to kind of fight us sometimes. 
It's to guide us. So the rod's fighting to protect us, and the staff is fighting to, to guide us in the direction that they need, that we need to go. And in both, we find comfort. In both, he's saying, God, you will protect me, and God, you are guiding me. Even in the valley of deep, deep darkness, life gets scary. Um, I get that. Like, where are we going? What, what am I, what am I going to do? You know, what, what's going on in our world? I mean, um, we've got, you know, they're telling us that UFOs are real and nobody's even really talking about it. We're just kind of ignoring it. That's how, that's how numb we are right now. But truthfully, we're so numb to fear, but it seems to always lurk. But we find peace. We don't fear because we find confidence in the fact that he is with us. He is with us. He is walking with you through the darkest valleys of your life, through the scariest moments, through the most intimidating moments. And what I want from y'all to do is this. I want you to act a little more like a child. When it comes to your fears, when it comes to your anxieties, we have, we have so many things that help us in that. But when it comes to the soul work side of it, what I want you to do is be more like a child. See, what I mean by that is, you know, my children never hesitate to tell me when they're afraid. They don't. They have a bad dream. They're afraid because we didn't leave the door cracked enough. No matter what's going on in their life, they don't hesitate to tell me when they are afraid of the situation they're in. And it's because they know that when they are scared, I'll remind them. Every time. It's pretty simple. Daddy, I had a bad dream. What am I going to say as a parent? Hey, I'm here. Mama's here. Daddy's here. We are, we are in your presence. And I'm going to remind them not only of my presence, but I'm going to remind them again, as this passage does, of my provision. Daddy's here, and I'm going to take care of you. You are safe. Nothing is going to happen to you. You are okay. So what I want you to do when it comes to your fears is go to your God, and almost like a child, like a little child, those things that you are afraid of, the things that you are carrying this weight of and stressing about that you know you shouldn't, you know you're provided for, but they are just taking so much of your energy. Go to your God, and what he's going to do is remind you, I'm here, I'm protecting you, you are safe. Do you want to come back up, Eden? There's this image uh, of, uh, I don't know, some of you probably have heard of it, of a, of a cast sheep. Anybody know what a cast sheep is? So what sheep have this tendency to do is they, they drift. You know, we know that about sheep. They, you know, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Like, they, they drift off. And as they do get tired and they get content, they, they, they lay down and they kind of lay into this little, little bit of a divot. And as they get more and more comfortable, what can happen is the sheep gases start to expand in their stomach, and you've probably seen an image and just didn't know what it was called, they, their legs will go up, 
and they'll be stuck on their back. And that's what's called a cast sheep, and especially the more stubby of the sheep. You know, I'm not a very tall guy, so maybe I, maybe I can relate. Uh, they, they can't roll back over. They can't get back onto their feet without help. And, and what truly happens, if the shepherd doesn't go and find them, the shepherd doesn't go and restore them, they will die. So part of the shepherd's job is to find the sheep who is cast, who is done. And he really didn't do anything terribly wrong. Like he just, he just wandered a little bit and he got really comfortable, maybe a little too comfortable, and then he was stuck. And so know that you have a God who even when you're terrified, when you're lost, beaten up, battered, and bruised, Find peace. Find peace as you're in the darkness by telling your God you're scared, allowing that peace to enter into your life, knowing he is coming to save you, to protect you, and to rescue you.